Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Seeking Profit. My name is Andrew, and I'm here, as always, with Emil. Emil, what is up, man? Where did you buy that sweet lavender hoodie? <laughs> I uh, I wore this hoodie because I knew it would be a talking point for the show. I think I got them at, at like Nordstrom Rack. It is very soft and comfortable, and I feel like purple just looks good on brown skin, so I can rock it. <laughs> and you're wearing a hoodie because it's 70 degrees in California right now? Dude, it is. It's been a cold and very wet winter for us. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, probably not because it's not local for you, but like people were posting pictures all around Southern California of snow and hail when it was like storming the last couple of weeks. Buses were flipping over. People were stuck on their roofs. Cause, uh, Dude, we, we got like a, uh, a tax extension in California till October because of the all the storms and stuff. Some Dude, flooding isn't there still stuff, another month? Yeah, don't I, don't, like I don't 30... understand. And what does that have to do with paperwork? I, I think no. if you're locked inside, it should be earlier because you have nothing better to do. <laughs> Californians are just good at whining and getting extensions and kicking the can down the road. So Sounds about right. Yeah. So on this episode, we are taking questions from you guys. Uh, Emil sent a tweet out. Uh, we got a lot of good questions. And I'm just going to read them and we're going to dig in. Let's do it. So the first question is from Jordan Sheltgen. Sheltgen. It's at Jordan, S-C-H-E-L-T-G-E-N on Twitter. And his question is, what's the time horizon for a site to become profitable? Is there a turnoff point? I'm not sure I know what a turnoff point is, <laughs> but judging by your face, you might know what that means. Uh, Jordan, Jordan's a buddy of mine. What's up, Jordan? Uh, so I think what he means by turnoff point is maybe like at what point do you stop putting money in and waiting for it to become profitable? Uh, so I think we we did an episode on how long it took our sites to start making money, which if you haven't seen that one, definitely go back, check it out. But I just pulled up a spreadsheet on the first niche site I ever started, which was May of 2021. Uh, and I was telling Andrew before he recorded, I just became profitable on this site. Woo! <laughs> and it's like $50 in, in the black. So I'm like really rolling in dough. Uh, I think, I mean, you know, the nice thing is, is making like a thousand, twelve hundred bucks a month now. It's just, I've been reinvesting so much that it just became profitable technically. I think it just depends. I think you can be profitable much faster if you're, Clearly, if you're writing all the content yourself, it's you're going to be, you know, paying yourself three dollars an hour, two dollars an hour, whatever it ends up being. But you'll be technically profitable much faster. But for me, I was, you know, I was okay. I had money set aside. This is like investing for me, and I pay for writers, pay for other people to like handle more of the operations, and I'm just handling strategy. So, long story short, it took me two years. I'm technically profitable, so I've made my money back that I've put in. And now the site is earning, you know, thousand to twelve hundred bucks a month with two hours of work is how much I'm spending on the site right now. 
I think you're more disciplined than me. Because I feel like in the early days, it's like, you know, I could find an extra $100, $200 to spend on some test or something. And then as you grow, it's like, I just have to find an extra $1,000 a month to waste. And then it's like, okay, how am I going to waste $5,000? And so like, I keep like pushing the line. Um, for me, it's usually about year three where I'm just like, enough. I need to eat. You know, I, uh, I need to like collect something, but pretty much like content sites, lasso, like I kept it up at that line. Then three years, I just like am exhausted of spending my own money. I want to make some. Yeah. But I guess it depends also like how much you, you reinvest, like, you know, um, if you're hiring writers, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And so similar to you, my main site, which is one that I've talked about in the past, I've acquired it. <clears throat> it already had traffic going. It just didn't really have like monetization going. Uh, for that one, I reinvested last year heavily, just like you. Like I was spending, you know, $3,000 on content. We published 300 articles in a year. I did like a $5,000 link building campaign to build some high quality links. So I was similar, like reinvesting a lot. And now this year it's, you know, earning six to eight K a month. And I've taken my foot off the pedal a lot in terms of creating new content. It's more so going back, updating, making sure it's all up to like standard and taking more profit. Cause last year was like a heavy reinvestment year. So yeah, this is my profit year. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to actually bring some of the dollars back home. They've been now fighting for way too long. That's like everyone's <laughs> theme this year. Like tech companies, everyone, it's no longer growth at all costs. It's like, let's, you know, do what businesses are supposed to do and turn a profit. So Jordan, thank you for submitting the question. Um, next one is Martin um, Engelin. I really should have read these in advance. Engler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Engler, I think. It's uh, at Martin underscore E-N-G-E-L-E-R. And he asks, by what metric do you pay writers to manage conflicts of interest? Flat fee per post, having a base of the number of words would likely lead to unnecessary filler content. And I absolutely agree. If a question can be answered in 500 words, it should be answered in 500 words. Yeah. So I'm, uh, so here's what I do. I, again, I've talked about this one. I pay by, by, uh, per word, but I create a content brief where I'm outlining each section. I'm giving them a specified word count. And I've been doing this long enough where I know, you know, they can't like, I have enough sections where it's only really going to be meat. And I give enough explainer stuff where there, there's not going to be a lot of filler content. I've just gotten a feel for it over time. It's kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I don't have a better answer than I've just figured it out over time. But again, content brief is, is my way of getting around this, making sure it's as detailed as possible, having sections clearly outlined of what I want covered in each section that allows me to avoid a lot of the filler content. I also, you know, on briefs, I say, no, don't put a conclusion. A lot of times, you know, they'll fill up 200 words with a conclusion, no conclusion. So the brief is what I use to keep that at bay and, and get rid of a lot of the fluffier content that writers will sometimes use to hit that word count. But what about chat GPT? <laughs> those, what, are those words free? The, uh, if chat GPT creates them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, or whatever X divided by $20 a month. Well, I mean, if your writer, you know, generates a bunch of words and then they edit it. So still like per word. <laughs> 
Or does it, yeah. does it evolve now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what does it matter if I'm paying per word or flat fee at that point, right? They're using AI, they're using mm. AI. True. When we were running LMM, felt similarly. We were like, we're widely prof- like wildly profitable. You know, we're going to pay three, four hundred, four fifty an article. You know, they're they're difficult, and uh, like we could pay it. And in hindsight, really wish that I kept more of that over the years of you know things. Um, I mean, but you you had good writers. You were keeping them happy. Like, do you really think? Let's say you it was a hundred dollars less. Uh, would the product? the final product, i.e. your writing, be the same quality? Do you think like the final product would have been the same? That was the thing is we were very focused on like retention. We wanted our, our people to love working on the business and be there when we needed them and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Between LMM and Gifts, we create a lot of overpriced articles. <laughs> it, it might have amounted to like, I don't know, a good vacation. Um, <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, look at what those sites did, right? They've they've earned a lot in their their time. They've brought put a lot of money in your pocket. It's hard to say it's an intangible, right? You took care of writers, you paid them well, they wanted to write for you, they maybe spent more time than they would have to create better stuff, which you got rewarded for and all that. So True. I don't know. And ChatGPT didn't exist then, so it wasn't a, a thing. Um Yeah, so are you are you still you guys still use writers for like Lasso? How are you guys doing it? Yeah, uh, but we've slowly, ever so slowly moved to like an hourly rate thought where originally it was like, a, say, listen to my matters, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, like a good article that's like, you know, 90% complete. That's like a solid eight hours of work. So like a day and we kind of like priced it out or maybe it's that plus editing back and forth. Um, but now I think like if someone was just focused on writing for a full day, they should be able to do like two to three in that time with the help of something like chat GPT. It's not like the AI is writing at all. It may write some, give ideas, but it'll speed things up. Um, but then we could pay a competitive. So now we're looking to pay a competitive hourly rate. We're looking for people that aren't just like mercenary one-offs. They're going to come onto the team vibe with our long-term strategy, you know, um, it's working now. But we don't have like a ton of writers like we did before. So I don't know if it will become difficult to manage or. Yeah. Well, plus, again, Lasso's a, a brand. It's not a content site where good enough is good enough. Like you're trying to stand out. You have, <clears throat> you know, affili- affiliate marketing sites that are written by marketers and marketers are really good at creating content, right? They they set the bar really high. It's like the hardest space to create good content in because everyone's up in the bar and yeah, not a, not a space I am envious of. So I think for you guys, it makes a ton of sense. Like having a full-time writer or someone who comes in and is not just, you know, cheapest price per word, whatever it is, like I would be spending top dollar on, on good content too. That said, before we started playing with this, we were doing um, per post and we break it down like this is a list post, this is a review, this is a deep dive, you know, whatever. And we it would be like 300, 325, 350, whatever the price for that type would be. But then it's like what it's worth when it's published. So if it takes, you know, a week to edit, 
it's still three hundred dollars, you know. Right. Yep. Before we go on to the next one, dude, I have to interrupt this because we have some breaking news that I don't know <clears throat> if people have heard about. We need everyone to hit the double like button on YouTube. No single likes allowed here, only double likes. And if you don't have the double like button, make sure you email YouTube support. Let them know that you need the double like button for Seeking Profit. Hope that you guys have enjoyed the show. You would love your support. Hit that double like. If you don't have the double like yet, it's okay. You can just hit the single like, but make sure you do email YouTube support. Get that double like. We're going to break that algorithm. Damn right. This is the price of the content. You know, it's not free and there are no ads. So we have to pay with your mouse click or you have to pay with your mouse click. That's right. We're like one of the last. I already like all our videos. (laughs) I do too. (laughs) I I go to like multiple accounts and I watch and like some other accounts. Whatever growth hack hashtag growth hack. We're, we're like that's one why of the all last of our videos burn. have at least five likes, right? Exactly it's because <laughs> all my burner accounts. Uh, that's right. We're, we're like one of the last virgin shows, right? We don't have any sponsors, pre-roll, mid-roll, any of that stuff. So pay us in likes, please, dear listener. Support the virgins. <laughs> <laughs> What have we done? Uh, on that note, uh, we, have, we have a question from Jack Barton. He's at Mr. Jack Barton, B-A-R-T-O-N. His question, uh, he writes in, right now I have a product review site that currently makes two to $300 per month in affiliate earnings. I have an idea for a second site in a related industry, but with a different target audience. And there's more potential to sell digital products with site two. In many ways, it'd be like a byproduct of the first site. Uh, On paper, it sounds like a brilliant idea. Plus, diversifying my sites and income would be the quote-unquote safe thing to do. But my time is limited, and I worry about splitting my attention between the two sites. Would you guys just keep focusing on site one, which is already making money? Or would you think it's worth it to slowly build two separate but complementary businesses? Thanks. Love the show. Uh, thank you, Jack. Appreciate the support. I would not diversify out into a second site. I mean, two to 300 a month, good start, but I would be aiming for five to 10K a month before I even thought about expanding out to a different site. I don't think it's a bad strategy. Uh, I think if you focus on one site for longer, you'll build that site up to give the new site a leg up when you start it. Right now, it's just, I think, too early and you'd be cutting yourself. You know, you'd be chopping off one foot. You'd be spreading yourself thin trying to do two so early in the game. I think one of the things that wasn't a big deal a few years ago, but has become a really big deal is um, like maintaining your existing content. You, know, you have to keep going back and, and improving it and making updates just so Google can see that you're improving and maintaining this content. And the way that we think about it, it's like uh, one piece of content takes, I don't know, one, two, four hours, whatever to maintain. And then as you create more things, there's just more maintenance. And get, if you only have a certain amount of time, there's a max number of articles that you can have before 100% of your time is put towards maintenance. And uh, I just think like, first of all, two to $300 a month, you can't build a team yet. It's just not big enough. You could 
barely pay yourself. And so you really need to get to a point where perhaps maintenance is split among more, multiple people. And also at a certain size, I, I wonder why couldn't those two sites be one site with different silos within, especially if it's highly complementary. You know, I had a personal finance site. We talked about debt and we talked about investing. You know, there are separate sections, separate categories. They're like on two opposite ends of personal finance, but, you know, eventually we got big enough to cover all of it. Um, I would also focus on one, try and get it to like what Emil said, five to 10, something that's earning meaningful money. Um, and then you can reinvest back. Maybe put some of your time into building another site. Yeah, that's a good point too. You're you're right. If it's if it's related enough, you can just build it into the into your existing site. Like I think we've mentioned it. I've talked about it on Twitter. There's a marketing platform that built a gifting site, right? A gifting subdirectory, and they're a marketing automation platform. And then they built this random folder with content that has nothing to do with marketing automation, and they've ranked a bunch of stuff for that. And that is not even related at all. If these are pretty closely related. Focus on getting that that main niche covered, and then you've built some authority. You're making some money. Then you can expand it out on that same site, probably. You know, um, it's kind of like pull of my memory. I had a call today with a customer does like thirty plus in affiliate income, and we were talking and thirty k mostly organic. Sorry, thirty k a month. Thirty k a month. Yeah. on affiliate through his site, and then he wound up uh, creating a course that was related to the topic. Uh, but just about 100% of the income of the course actually comes from Facebook ads. And so he wound up, he sees it as two separate businesses because the site doesn't even funnel into the course. And I would just wonder like, one, why can't you sell these things that are created from site one, you know, within site one? Or why do you have to create another site to sell them? Why couldn't you just run ads against it? You know, like, and think one site is organic. And the other one, it's not site one or site two. It's just a product, you know, and it just is another thought. All right. So next one is from Sean Hill. I think everyone on Twitter knows who he is at this point. Uh, he is at S-H-W-N-H-L-L. He has something against vowels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he asked, why do SEO gurus hate niche site creators? I actually didn't even know this a thing. We were talking about it before. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they definitely hate them. <laughs> so enlighten us. Yeah, it's like, um, what is what is an SEO guru? I'd say it's probably like the SEO speaking, people who go and speak a, a bunch, people who work at prominent companies who head up SEO, things like that. I think they often will dunk on niche site creators. And I think I get, I kind of straddle both, right? I, I have the agency, so I'm working with clients. I've been an in-house SEO and I also create niche sites. I don't understand the hostility, but if I have tried to step back and understand it, I think it's twofold. I think a lot of times, uh, there's a lot of like early naivety, naivety with niche site creators, like, you know, you create a new site, your your graph is going up and then a Google update happens and you're like, oh my God, my amazing site is crashing down. How could this happen to me? I have the best site, the best content in the world. And I think a lot of the, the SEO gurus are kind of just like laughing or dunking because they've been in it longer. They've ridden those waves and they're just kind of like, 
you know, it's kind of childish. Like, haha, you beginner. Like, you've never seen an update before. Like, not remembering their first time going through a, a stressful update where you lose a ton of traffic. <clears throat> the other thing is, is, I think in like the niche site world, a lot of the stuff we're doing, it just has bigger fluctuations. I was talking with uh, Jared Bauman from Niche Pursuits, and he's he's got the same thing. He has an agency. He also creates his own sites. We were talking about how our sites have way more crazy fluctuations than client sites because they're brands, they're getting mentions, and they're like just more natural. So it's not they don't get slapped as hard with updates as compared to us, where it's we're just creating content for SEO. We're kind of playing this peaks and valleys game. So I think a lot of times people, they just, if you haven't experienced both of those, it's easy to just dunk on people who are experiencing those big ups and downs. Um, and partly I think it's, you know, a little bit of jealousy. Like people are working, like niche site creators are working for themselves. They're building something for themselves. It's an asset that they own. Whereas an SEO guru, a lot of times if you're working in-house, you know, you hang your hat on, a big company like Dropbox or Airbnb and you get to talk like you're this amazing, knowledgeable person and you don't realize like, yeah, you're doing some cool stuff, but you also have this giant brand that has a lot of like random people. It's, it's a different game. And I think both sides need to just understand they're different games and respect that they're both hard and they both have their merits and all that. I felt a lot of that in the question. And it's like, you know, the Dropbox, Airbnb, like they have their 401k, but the niche site creators have their site. They actually have all the profit, not like a steady whatever. Um, But often, whether you're working on one side or the other, you're kind of doing the same thing. You know, like people who own niche sites, they are really SEO gurus that are just writing on a specific topic. Exactly. I think there's a lot to learn from people who, aren't as well known and don't have like that crazy name on their resume. Like when I got into this, like I was learning a ton from affiliate niche site people that I was not getting from the SEO guru community. I think SEO is just this funny space online where SEOs love to bicker and talk about who's right. And it's funny because no one is really right because we have no idea. We're just making hypothesis. No one knows the algorithm. No one really, we're all just, it's just silly. I don't know. I don't know why people hate on each other <laughs> online in general, especially the in on SEO Twitter. Yeah. Superiority something. Yeah. Um, so our last question is from Greg Dinio at Greg D I G N E O. Wow. Everyone has like their name. Um, cool. <laughs> and this question is why shouldn't I just use chat GPT to write every blog post on a new niche site? Thank you, Greg, for asking the question. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> of course we can't get through a Q and a episode without talking about chat GPT. Of course. Well, we actually, we already did, didn't we? But like a question dedicated to chat GPT, honestly, you should like, if it's your site, your niche site, you have nothing to lose. I don't think it's the worst thing to try. Like who knows? I mean, you know, Google says one thing one day, then they take it back. As long as it's helpful, we don't care if it's AI generated. I'm personally using it to help with content creation. I'm not using it to write entire blog posts, finding different use cases to like improve content and create things faster than a human would. Like, you know, you can take an article 
if it has the same three, you know, you have a list of 10 things that has the same three things like price, you know, dimension, whatever, you can throw it in ChatGPT, tell you to make a graph and it'll ease, like quickly create a graph for you that you can throw in. So like finding cool ways to, to enhance articles, but yeah, if it's your site, man, test things. I don't know. I don't have a good reason to say, no, don't do it. It's your site. Go for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I feel like I've heard a lot of anecdotal results of people mostly creating articles with ChatGPT and then performing exceptionally well. I don't know if it's like selection bias, like everyone who did it and bombed didn't like go on Twitter. And <laughs> like, did you see that article I wrote that no one read because it sucked? Um, good, a good point. That said, yeah. I mean, I do know a lot of people who've tried it and have done well. Uh, my dad actually tried it. And it did well. Like he he has a career site and he was asking it for book ideas and then, you know, created articles based on and then just like posted right up. Uh, and he has not been able to rank as well um, as some other people. And so it may just be robot love. Robots love the creations of other robots. <laughs> <laughs> Algos love robots. I mean, dude, I, I posted about it on Twitter. I created a calculator for my site. <clears throat> it wasn't ranking that well. And I saw that everyone else had like you know, four to 700 words on all their calculators. And I'm like, okay, clearly the calculator is not enough. I have to whatever, have some supporting text. So I had ChatGPT help me create the content for it. Cause it was like, I just wanted definitions. It wasn't something that, you know, I could have sent it to my writer, but I'm like, man, this is, this is basic stuff. You just need like a computer going and retrieving definitions from the internet faster is, is faster. And I don't have to send it out and wait a couple of days. So I did that. I think four to 450 of the words were directly from chat GPT. I just had the H2, which was the prompt, put their text in literally a week later, went to number four, a couple weeks after that. Now it's sitting at number one and it's 80% chat GPT direct content. So I don't know, man, it, again, I'm not using it everywhere, but I don't know. Maybe that, that maybe that's a missed opportunity. You know, in a pinch, it does a really good job. And it is certainly ranking for some people, at least some of the time. Uh, I, I think it should be viewed as a productivity tool. Some things, if you're like, uh, I need to include in this article, what is a platypus? Well, ChatGPT could probably write the entire section. What is a platypus? Yeah. But, you know, if you're like, uh, I don't know, things I've seen platypuses do in the wild and you know, I have pictures to prove it, you know, ChatGPT can't write that. So it depends. That's right. Exactly. Calculate, going back to this calculator example, it's just, it was helper text and definitions. Very easy. Didn't need really a human to like think about it or go re, you know, <laughs> research it and reword it is basically what happened, which a computer can do very well. So yeah. And find applications. you know, I know it's been written by AI. It wasn't like handcrafted by a human, but at the end of the day, it's about adding value. And if that made your tool more useful and more clear, and someone learned something, who cares who, what it was written for, by, like, useful is useful. Yeah. So, And again, if um, it's your own site, that's the fun of your own site, is you get to test stuff, right? Like, I, I don't do this stuff on client sites, but I get to test a lot of weird stuff that's, you know, Google says, don't do this, don't do that, and I'm going to test it on my own site, see how it works, and then over the long term, I can come to my own conclusions about what actually works and what doesn't. Yeah. And maybe you just have a site that either lends well to it or not, you know? Right. Um, who knows? Yeah. But uh, 
Thank you for coming and, and listening and sending in your questions. Uh, I always have fun answering questions, just even reading uh, the questions people have. Uh, so that's it. So if you're listening on uh, YouTube, subscribe, like the video. We could really use the encouragement. We're trying to get to a thousand subscribers. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, leave us a review. iTunes. Is there anything else other than iTunes? If you Google get Play us from or something, it's called. <laughs> yeah, but just leave us an iTunes review. Yeah, yeah, go to um, iTunes. <laughs> and uh, Emil, I'll see you in the next episode. Talk to you later, man. We're seeking profit. We're we're seeking profit. We're seeking, we're seeking, we're seeking, we're seeking, we're seeking profit. We're seeking, seeking, we're seeking, seeking, we're seeking profit.